Storm Damage by Garrick Fincham Read by Mike Rigby Seiso rested a gauntlet hand on the familiar truck flank, metal skin to metal skin. The dented hull, the six great wheels, the glazed pod cabin high and to the right, patch upon patch, repair upon repair. Her hand fell to her side and she looked up at its shadowed bulk, running lights dead, cabin in darkness. Her suit sensors registered only the dull red glow of the power plant on standby. The truck had clearly been here for days. Wait or go, it wasn't a real question. Precious oxygen was breathed away while she waited stubbornly in the stillness, the pink sun dropping below the rocky red horizon, Mars night gathering. Long after safety protocol said she should have headed for shelter, she still waited. Someone with either a sense of humour or no imagination had named this place Halfway. It hadn't been a large place, a pumping station between the polar water plants at Purity Springs and the great transport hub at Big Junction. But it was sand-choked rubble now. Leaning against the truck, Seiso looked towards the seven towers that still stood at its heart, that up to six years ago, when one had collapsed, had been eight rubble and ruins. But the place was a beacon nonetheless. A beacon for the forlorn, for those without hope. Halfway. The name meant something in more ways than one. It was a place where after all else had failed, there might be help and hope. It offered the prospect of a way out of sorts, even though the way had only opened once. The night was utterly clear, and it seemed all the more intense because there was a storm coming, a big one. They had heard it on the radio from a small group of vehicles, a hundred miles or so away. The brilliant pinpricks of stars above her now would vanish, swallowed by dust. But for now, the velvet darkness had deepened, rich, silent, undisturbed. She felt alone with the whole planet. Suddenly there was light, distant, harsh, electric. It swung back and forth, approaching across invisible broken ground. Her own light off, she hid in the lee of the vehicle, watching the erratic approach. The light was no more than ten metres away when she spoke across local comms. Hello, Channa. She turned her suit light on and he stopped, swinging to face her. Her visor polarised as his suit beam swung to shine on her face. But he still must have been able to see her clearly, looking straight back at him. He said nothing, though, and after a moment he moved on, carefully skirting an area of too smooth sand that lay between them, a dust trap, probably deep enough to swallow either of them. 
He was heading, not for her, but his truck's entry lock. Always his truck. She followed him, uninvited but unopposed into the vehicle, clambering up the access ladder, boots clanging heavily on its metal rungs. My guest, he said, finally speaking as he waved her through the inner hatch, and though there was no smile on his face, there was a hint of one in his voice. Hope flickered deep in her, but it was always the hope that killed her when it came to him. The living space and control cabin beyond was painfully familiar, even down to the smell. A hundred years of ration packs, Martian dust and human stink, the same in every truck still running. Yet, each one was slightly different. There was always something more mechanical in the smell of Channa's truck. Oil, solder, cleaned metal, and, as ever, there were projects everywhere. A dismantled pump, an ancient street lamp flower with no bulbs, and parts stashed in every conceivable place. Seiso sat at the fixed table in the metal bucket seat that had always been hers, and he busied himself displacement activity to buy himself time before he was ready to talk it was always this way and while she waited she disconnected a gauntlet idly tracing patterns with her finger in the fine dust on the tabletop she stopped as a glass of water was placed on the table by her hand the glass hitting the metal with a sharp crack like a bullet hitting concrete he was standing behind her and to one side she could hear him taking a long, deep breath as he leaned over her, felt his hand touch her hair so lightly she almost didn't feel it at all. She closed her eyes, just to listen to him, to wait for him to make the first move. He did move, but only to sit on the opposite side of the table to her. And she opened her eyes again. Are you going to tell me why you came back this time? For you, of course. You've been here for days already. I followed your tracks. Looks like you've been trying to fix blades at the trio. He shrugged. If you know, why ask? For the truth. The truth, say so? <laughs> we can talk your bullshit about... about what's buried here, or would you just like to know the actual engineering? I can quote the power requirements from the original operating manual and we can cut the crap. Fact is, though, you wouldn't know the truth if it was tattooed on you. So that's why you're here. Your friend at Elysium found the plans for the connection facility here. Have you actually fixed the trio, Channa? Is that it? His voice trailed off, and the sudden, uncomfortable silence was like a dust trap. She glanced around, looked more closely at his projects, but they were just the usual junk. Then something caught her eye. A hand-amended weather map taped to one of the truck bulkheads. You've been tracking the storm, of course! You're obsessed with this. Back here every time, just to prove me wrong. Yes, to prove you wrong, but to open interchange too. To put right what you did to me. So you are back for me, in a way. She yearned for his old smile to break across his face, and it almost did. Aren't I always? She reached out and grabbed his hands. Then forgive me. 
It was an accident. Nothing I could do. He pulled his hands away. I'm sorry, Channa. <sighs> Tell me about the storm. Due late tomorrow. Biggest since, well, you know. He started to talk about dynamo units. She wanted to warn him. Wanted just to say, Stay away from Tower 3. It's coming down in the storm. But she just couldn't break into his flow. She loved to hear him talk too much. His voice too confident to be interrupted. The two glasses of water stood between them within touching distance of sand-stained fingers, sipping distance of ever-dry lips. They remained untouched. Walking home, Seiso followed the main water pipeline, dry since the world ended, and cast an ancient service way that ran along its length into shadow, even now at mid-morning. She halted to look up at where the pipe was running to, the cluster of seven towers on the horizon. They were little more than skeletal ruins, light falling flat on their sunward facings, turning the concrete to brilliant pink and leaving the many gaping window holes stark and blank. Hard shadows still lay amongst the jumble of lesser buildings that gathered around their bases. It was only when she started to walk again that she realised there was someone else up ahead, the faintest suggestion of movement almost lost in the shade under the pipe. She tried comms, but with no response, and she hurried to catch up. The sun was rising all the time, light strengthening, shadows shrinking, and it wasn't long before the suited figure started to be visible, first as a vague outline, soon enough as someone trudging, head down. As soon as she got close enough, Seiso reached out her hand, catching the bulky shoulder of the other's suit. She stepped back sharply as the other span around, an ancient spanner gripped in heavy metal fingers. It was the tired, frightened, dust-streaked face of a girl that mouthed soundlessly through a scratched helmet visor, but all Martians lip-read. Fucking say! Get back, or I'll smash your faceplate! Say-so tapped the side of her helmet and heard the click as the girl realised her comms were off and dabbed her tongue at the mouthboard. Get back! The girl stared out of her suit helmet, trapped in her own terror, in the moments before she crumbled. Then the spanner clattered to the serviceway as she slumped and sobbed. It was an age before she could even mutter her name. Rebecca. Dust inhalation, liver damage, dehydration, basic hunger, just like everyone else. 
There was no way Rebecca could feel anything through her suit, but Seiso put her arm round the girl's shoulders anyway. She'd learnt long ago that the gesture was worth it, especially when, like this one, they were bone-tired, nerve-shredded, close to giving up. Finally, they stood together and continued their walk up the pipeline. They moved in silence, but Seiso reached out and held Rebecca's hand gauntlet in gauntlet, squeezing gently. Eventually, Rebecca squeezed back, and when Seiso glanced across at the girl, she answered with a watery smile. Thank you. Seiso shook her head. No need. I was with Balan Caravan. Ah. They all knew what had happened to Balan. I'm so sorry. With nothing more than a gentle pull on Rebecca's hand, Seiso led her off the service way and into the morning light, towards the entrance to a pressure chamber, a plasticised hatch crudely sealed into place in an old opening of a base of a tower. The sun reflected off it. Suddenly Rebecca spoke. I survived. Crossed the desert. Decided it was time. Well, you're here. And there's no hurry. I wanted to be here before the storm. The girl looked upwards. No more than sixteen, but everyone was an old Mars hand by that age. And they both knew what the strange uniformity of colour already spreading high in the sky meant. Streams of light. Wind-blown dust. You didn't need the guys at Elysium to know what was coming. Seiso pulled Rebecca to face her, visor to visor. You need to understand. We have only opened interchange here once. We are trying, all of us, to open it again. But there are no guarantees, and it isn't escape. Not even if we succeed. Not for you. Not the you standing here. It will be another Rebecca in there. Just a copy of you. This you. The girl standing here will be left behind. But I will be in there. And this me, the, the me here, well, I'm free to find my own release then, aren't I? Another suicide then, but who could blame her? Who could blame any of the left behinds? It happened wherever Interchange opened. <laughs> there was no reason why it shouldn't happen here. Channa, after all, was proof of how screwed up such people could be when they didn't do the obvious thing. Come on. Seiso said, thinking about the trio, and how long she had before the storm was likely to start making moving about on the surface difficult. We've work to do. From the old control bunker, Channa could see the closest wind blade, held high on a great metal strut, mounted on one of the central towers, jerking as a light wind picked it up. 
He could hear the metallic protests over the thin whisper wind, over sand scratching on the dulled plexiglass of the slit windows. The first turns were always halting, as dust was worked out of the gear plates and disconnectors, the rotations becoming steadily more angular. When he looked down at a makeshift board, punctured metal, holding salvaged lights, the first few were flickering. Power was starting to trickle. Each light had something scrawled beneath, and one marked Central suddenly blazed. He glanced back out of the window, at the wind blade beating the air hard now. It was always the first to get fully going. He leant over the board. Six years adding more and more lights every time he got a new wind blade running. He tapped the newest, three dead little bulbs pulled from an old airlock panel. Wait, he told himself. Just wait. The trio were the biggest blades, the heaviest. They would be the last to turn, and the wind was still little more than a strong breeze. Looking back up through the window, he glanced at the dust-blurred sun, as high as it would get today, and wondered if he had time to do a last check of the trio before the storm hit. There wasn't. Nothing to do, nothing to repair. He hated empty time like this. Dust dashed against the plexiglass windows of the control bunker, just as it had against the truck windows six years ago, the night he had seen the trio turning. There had been eight hours until that night, one of them collapsing just as the interchange had opened. There had been rubble, dust and a blast wave as it came down. The trio's group gear had jammed, and none of those blades had turned since. Time passed in the control room, the wind building. Mars scratching against the windows and the walls. Something was always scratching on Mars one way or another. Outside or inside your head. For Channa, it was memory that scratched. Six years ago, here at Halfway, him and Seiso trapped in a storm. The sort of thing even young Martians found romantic. But storms drew you out, showed others who you really were. And Seiso had really revealed herself that night. A second bulb blazed, North 4, and he started to suit up. He would go and check the trio after all. It was better than thinking too much, thinking about how she had taken him away from the only real choice a Martian had, when to bow out of this awful world and make a new life of sorts in Interchange. Two huge metal sheets hung from a concrete support beam high above. The sheets were scarred, battered and worn, superlight material torn from the blades of a collapsed turbine. They'd been dangled down through a three-storey void in the hollowed-out heart of one of the towers, almost imperceptibly, since she had left for Channa's truck the day before. The ruined blades had started to swing in the currents that were feeling their way through the building. 
The currents were like the merest breath, visible only because of the dust that stirred too. But all through the day the storm had grown, the thin Martian wind tugging the sheets this way and that in the building shell. Having dropped Rebecca off with the work crew here, she had been out to the trio, keeping an eye on what Channa had been up to. All that while, though, Seiso's little band had pushed on, hanging anything off dangling cables that could be drilled. Plastic pipes, lightweight metal plating, fluorescent lighting tubes. There had been long weeks since the last storm, but it was always like this. A mad rush to finish in the last hours as the wind picked up. But as each storm came, there was more junk hanging throughout the building. More noise when the wind blew. More adrenaline when the moment came. With a low scrape, metal touched metal. Seiso looked up, flicked a tongue switch in her helmet, and broadcast to the others. That's it! Stop! Stop now! Drop it all! They downed tools as the sound came again, and Seiso could see rods, plates, broken brackets, all hung from each other in slow, swaying chains, occasionally clattering against each other now. A dull percussion, heavy and resonant, sounded through what passed for the air as the two torn turbine blades struck each other gently, almost in slow motion. She had put those blades there herself after... well, just after. It was time to go, down into the vaulted space below the tower. Channa was out in the open, wind rising to the point where he could feel a slight tug on him as he walked. He could hear a thin scream now, and a clicking, grating, snicking and scraping as sand was hurled against rock and concrete. In the thin atmosphere, the very fact that he was starting to feel it at all lifted his spirits. That and the steady turn of the central blade, sweeping the air with a great boom, boom, boom. The Elysium guys had been right. This was going to be one hell of a storm. Perhaps even the one he'd been waiting for. He paused, glancing back at the seven towers of Halfway, obscured now by thickening dust swirls. They had, though, defied all Mars could throw at them. And there was greatness there. Architecture and ambition, even in a simple backwater, and which even now endured not unlike all the miserable stragglers that survived in the ruins, abandoned by Earth to make some kind of life in the rubble. There was something to admire in both the building and the survivors. Channa sheltered for a while, in the lee of a half-fallen wall, waiting until the blurred outlines of the towers were momentarily clearer. As soon as he had slightly better visibility, he launched into a clumsy, suited run. <sighs> Shambling, he hit the end of Thruway, a wide road that ran along the axis of the settlement, and the wind was suddenly stronger, funneled at him. It was nothing but a plucking sensation, the air too thin and insubstantial for much else, but he felt its drag and glanced up the building shells around him. They had been here for a hundred years, 
enduring wind-scouring after wind-scouring. But the fine abrasive sound found weak points. You had to be careful. Bending his head, he pushed on, moving as quickly as he dared through broken tunnelling and around tangles of metal struts that had once been part of a pressurised street ceiling. All of it was dangerous, and each step could trap one of his boots or puncture his suit. Visibility suddenly dropped, a darker dust being carried low, cutting light levels. But he had reached a side street by then. In its relative shelter, he paused to catch his breath, turn on his helmet lights and wonder if he had made a mistake. The storm had come on quicker, and the dust thicker than he had expected. The trio beckoned, though. The reason he was here. And he turned back to the storm. From the edge of the tower district, he could make out the smeared silhouettes of the three great windmills, even as visibility fell. They stood, upright, against the wind. Shit, he said under his breath. There should have been at least some movement by now, but their blades were still. If all three were jammed, it was the group gear. Head down once again, he lurched out into the open. Then, something buried beneath the sand shifted underfoot. Pain shot through his ankle, and with an angry grunt, he fell. Standing at the top of the access ramp to the loading space, Seiso pulled at a makeshift switch, and lights flickered into life. She had helped Channa to string them along the concrete walls after they had first come here. Before the lights, though, they had explored the underground loading area with torches, picking their way cautiously down the ramp. The site at the bottom had been the kind that could only greet you on Mars. Twenty-two bodies, lying in a ring, Heads in, feet out, hand in hand. They had been leather dry, shrouded in dust, undisturbed for a century. One she clearly remembered was an ancient corpse, slender with blonde plaits. They had buried them all, Channa and her, taking them one at a time up to the east scarp, raising stones as grave markers. Now she let her dusty, weary little band in their dulled, scratched suits down into the chamber Rebecca by her side they moved in silence the sounds from the clanging metal that had been hung with so much labour filtering down from above this bay wasn't just a loading bay it was an emergency access point to interchange that's why she and Channa had cleared the bodies and why she at least had stayed all these years she had seen it work, actually work, just once. She needed it desperately to work again. The first heavy chimes from above sounding across local comms told her that the storm was mounting quickly. Take positions, quickly now! The adrenaline was filling her, and adrenaline was the key. The gathered women lay, copying the ring on the ground that the dead had been forming when Seiso had first been here. She took her place too lying carefully down. Rebecca on one side, a girl whose name she hardly knew on the other. 
She grasped each of their hands tight and said across comms, Everyone, get ready for the broadcast. It wasn't just Channa that could fix things, string things together. She had wired the chamber where the wind blades hung with as many working microphones as she could find, scavenging for them all across halfway. Tongue flicking deftly at her mouthboard, Seiso activated a remote signal pulse that opened up her very own lashup of a comm system, something she had built herself. Her helmet, the helmets of all the work party, the helmets of anyone within two miles, suddenly filled with a sickening, high-volume clangor. The impossible sound of chimes picked up, amplified and broadcast across standard frequencies. More and more mics to pick up the sound of more and more scrap. With each storm, she tried to recreate what had happened that first time. Sound, the adrenaline, the sheer roar that had filled her as Tower 8 had collapsed at the heart of the chaos. It had never worked yet. Interchange stayed closed. This time, though, she had another card to play. Lying in those first panicked moments after his fall, Channa's eyes flicked backwards and forwards, frantically checking the helmet visor for cracks. He remained sprawled in the lashing sand that seethed around him, calming himself. Finally, he rose, shuffling forwards carefully, as visibility continued to drop. Then there was something else, just in case things were too easy. With a burst, chimes rang sudden and loud over the howling. Say so's work. Broadcast over the local comms frequency. His head swam and he almost fell again, almost collapsing into the sound and sand, the clanging rising around him like a tide. He stabbed out his tongue, cutting the microphones, closing his eyes while the echoes faded from his ears. Eventually, he stumbled on, cursing Say so as he went. Say so, her followers, all the same old idiocy. The same old superstition that never worked, never could work. She wanted to open interchange. He wanted to open interchange too. What you needed was power, not ritual. At the foot of the nearest blade, he paused for shelter beside its chipped, worn but solid block base. He waited, eyes closed until his head properly stopped spinning. His ankle was throbbing and he checked his suit status. Whilst he'd been panicking about his visor integrity, he'd missed damage to this ankle seal. But it was only an orange warning. The last stretch was no more than 30 metres, but all in the open and with virtually zero visibility now. Don't think. Not about the storm or the pain in the ankle. The fact that his ears were ringing. Just think about her. Say so. And about proving her wrong. He moved, shambling towards a low plinth, stood at the centre of the three blades. The trio. Their shafts indistinct giants looming up around him. Almost as in a last effort to stop him, the wind speed increased, shrouding him in dust. Splattering light grit at his faceplate. The wind gave one last desperate howl. And then he was there.
Seiso was motionless, waiting. Head pointing in, feet pointing out. Gauntlet hands holding the gauntlet hands of those either side of her. The noise surges had long since killed the conversation, but she felt a squeeze through her armoured suit glove. Rebecca, new and scared, and she squeezed back. Memories that were just six years old, but of a lifetime ago, surfaced through the cacophony. Two lovers in a truck that had, somehow, managed to extract a little happiness and wonder from a grinding ruin of a world. Then they were trapped in a storm, the biggest either of them could remember. She smiled, thinking back at the fact that the most alarming thing about the whole situation had been him trying to chat, gossip about some of the other camps, the guys trying to keep Elysium going, the sporadic comms traffic with Old Earth. It had never happened before. Him so scared that he was trying to keep both their minds off how much trouble they were actually in. Stuck at halfway, supplies dangerously low. Then they had found the dead crew, mummified faces brown and taut across ancient skulls. She had convinced Channa then to tell her the truth that they both knew. They weren't going to make it. And so they had made space in the death ring to hold hands with corpses. It seemed a fitting way to die. Only they survived. So now she lay on the floor again, as those bodies had lain, surrounded by the living followers she'd gathered. The storm was mounting, just as it had before, power trickling through ancient systems as the windmills turned. But it wasn't just power that opened interchange. You needed people, too, this ring, and you needed at least one that had what she had, the knack. They would try to open interchange again, as they had done during every major storm for the last six years. Every storm, Channa appearing to fix more turbines, give more power, as though people and adrenaline on the one hand and power on the other were the issue. This time, it was going to be different. She could feel it. Besides, she had made an addition of her own. She had faith that she was right. And Channa, her wonderful Channa, so gifted with wires and gears and anything of metal, was wrong. Today was the day she was going to prove herself right about Interchange. It was so much more than a machine, and he would see that. He would understand. Pushing the pain in his ankle, the storm, and say-so to the back of his mind, Channa focused on an inspection hatch set into the plinth side. With a fumble, he pulled the correct Allen key from his suit belt and opened the metal door. The inspection space was a mess. Aging, high-tech, crude, patch-repaired mechanics, and a few simple controls he'd wired into place to bypass dead systems elsewhere. A mess. But it was his mess, and it should work. The trio should be turning. Helmet lights on full. He huddled over the opening, a test kit appearing from another pocket. Connections, phase rotation, in-system diagnostics. He stood staring into the hatchway. It was all operational. Frustration welled, and he thumped the hatch door. What was wrong with the fucking thing? Then he saw it. The one thing that he hadn't thought to check, because he had set it just two days ago. There was no malfunction at all. Someone had engaged the manual cutout, 
and they had done it today, or yesterday. Someone. Say so, of course. Always say so. Cheap sabotage more important than actually achieving anything. Just to claim she was right. He reached in to free the gears, and the windmill tower ahead of him visibly juddered as, with a woof, a great blade descended from the air, cutting through the dust. For a moment, just instinctively, Channa felt it was falling and flinched, but then the blade arched upwards and vanished from view just as the next one appeared. The blades were turning. He looked back at the other two windmills. They were all turning. That initial woomph, now a multiple regular woomph, 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 and accelerating. One blade creaked ominously, the tower flexing, but the blade sped on and up, woomph, 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 accelerating with each stroke. A little power. Yes, of course you needed power. She wasn't stupid. As the sound started to distort Seiso's senses, she clung onto one thought. Those who had built this world, before the fall, had understood one great thing. Wires and wheels, blades and gears can only take you so far. They had made minds part of their machines, and interchange, here and now, needed a mind to open. It had to be, though, a mind in the right state. A mind alive, alert, filled with the power it needed to channel. The storm above was louder than ever now. The clanging of the chimes, striving against it, wind battling metal. Every time since the first time, she had waited in vain. But not this time. This time, as long as Channa had found her little act of sabotage and put it right as she absolutely trusted he would, this would finally be different. Then it happened. Above the clanging metal and the roaring storm, she felt a surge of power. Not yet, not without the final step, but it told her that her trust had not been misplaced. She screamed, I love you, Channa! It was as he was wondering how he had made such a simple error when he saw them. Two crude wires badly soldered into place, but tucked out of sight, connected almost invisibly to the cutout. Nothing he would ever have spotted when running his test routines. So simple. An electrical circuit had closed when he had disengaged the cutout. He traced the wires deeper into the shadowed inspection space. His helmet light fell on a small interrupter. The circuit wasn't closed. It was a small device, designed to trip when some preset condition was met. But what? He looked up at the trio, the blades slicing effortlessly through the storm, as fast as they would go now, generating maximum power. Even as he realised that that was exactly what the interrupter was waiting for, for the power flow from the trio to be at or close to its height, a boom echoed through the storm. It was followed by a rumbling, roaring, sliding crash, 
a sound that swamped the sounds that, up until now, had seemed extreme. He turned, looking back at the Seven Towers of Halfway, lost to sight in the dust. Dust which suddenly wasn't red, but grey, like concrete. A wave of pressure flattened him against the plinth, and he fell, flinging his arms up to protect his face visor, and, seconds later, fresh, jagged pebbles, some the size of his fist, grit and concrete flakes, strafed the ground around him, striking the plinth with cracks like gunfire, pinging off the metal and the inspection hatch. One struck his exposed suit flank. The shock felt in his ribs with a crack, but no pain, just awareness fading as his suit flooded him with painkillers. In the chamber, a crashing, rumbling chaos, built in seconds to a deafening, screaming roar. Then, a smacking and slapping rose above that roar, but only for a moment before even that was swamped. Ground vibrating, a pressure wave racing through the chamber that the suits couldn't dampen. Fine grey dust, more like smoke, washed over them as their eardrums burst, just like the first time. Just like when she and Channa her head exploded, like it had six years before, and her face was suddenly slack, unmoving. A blood tear rolled down her cheek. You moved a truck after a storm, made sure it was free of wind-blown sand, gave it a chance to clear its filters. Channa drove slowly. tracking the line of East Scarp that rose to his left, thinking. For all say-so's mysticism, Interchange was nothing more than a project management tool, designed in the days when they built to last, when they ran projects over hundreds of years. How do you keep a project team together over those kind of timeframes? Copy them into a simulation. Let the real ones go off and do something useful. Let the copies run the project. There were design limitations, of course. You could only be copied once to stop one or two people trying to run everything, to make sure you got a range of views on any problem. Here and there it still functioned. The last escape for the desperate of this latter day. When you were ready. Problem was, he hadn't been ready. Not back then, when they had first found this place. She had opened the door during freak circumstances, and he had been in the wrong place at the wrong time. It had never been her fault, not really. But he had hated her for it. Hated her for still having the choice he didn't. When to go. When to record a version of yourself into this other place. Give at least a ghost of you a better chance of life. That was over now, though, in the still bright, brilliant dawn after the storm. She had made the choice last night. She had gone in after him. There was another say-so in another world now, a simulation of the past, but real enough. So they were even now, and he wondered if there was a chance to start again between them. He saw her then, sitting on the scarp top, watching the world go by, and he stopped the truck well within sight. He half expected her to walk down towards him, 
but she showed not the slightest motion until he saw her hang her head. Everything he might have been hoping for crumbled. Whatever was happening, it wasn't an I love you moment. He knew her too well, could tell her moods just by the set of her shoulders in a surface suit. And those shoulders suggested he was in real trouble. Eventually, there was nothing else to do but clamber down out of the truck cabin and climb the loose scree slope towards her. There was pain in his bound ribs, but he promised himself that he wouldn't be angry with her for almost killing him. Panting, he reached the top, then walked along the crest. She stood, turning towards him then, and he saw old, red tear tracks on her face like dried Martian watercourses. She had been crying blood. Channa. Say so. I heard. It opened. You went over. It wasn't deliberate. Just sort of happened. A calm place. Somewhere to go. A warm, dust-free, comfortable, not ruined place. She looked out over the sand. To be somewhere without dust. She almost choked on just the thought of it. I do remember, he said simply. He was seeing halfway, but as it was... It called me too, remember? There were people there, Channa, but I didn't want to join them. It worked. That's the important thing. The blades generated the priming power I needed for the hydro gates to open. Water, say so. It flowed down the pipes under pressure, triggered the turbines, and we got main stage levels. Interchange opened. You think it was those bloody blades? She almost laughed. It should have been so different. And, as his temper flared, he wondered why the promises to yourself were the most difficult to keep. You think it was that stunt blowing up the tower? He nearly killed me! Adrenaline, Channa. I needed the adrenaline. Just like when the tower came down the first time. Blades, power, you can't reduce interchange to simple mechanics. If you could, we could open it whenever we wanted. We could all just go. Besides, I thought you would have been impressed. Explosive set to go when the blades were turning at the right speed. Yep, it was a neat bit of work. He tried a smile. But then, you learnt from the best. Cold eyes looked back at him, and she didn't move. I had hoped we could start again. I know it hurt being forced through before you were ready. But it really wasn't my fault. I'd have done anything to go through together. It was an accident, and the best it left me with was the hope of starting again, when it had been put right. What the hell is wrong with you, say so? You followed me, and that's all I ever wanted. Not to have been sent there and left alone. We're both there now, together. Say so turned her back on him. Looking back towards the ruins of Halfway. Just six towers now. The seventh a grey rubble scar across the red Martian rock and sand. It would mellow, storm by storm, until it was red like everything else. When you know that you've had your one chance, when you know the only salvation open to you has been grasped, but that you're also still here, what do you do? Who cares for you then? Her voice was as soft as dust, and from anyone else that might have been self-pity, but not her. I'll look after you. We'll look after each other. Love each other. We can put all this behind us now. No. 
I don't think so. Not anymore. I thought we had a chance now. And I know you felt the same. I did. Until I saw those people waiting for me. The people in Interchange. And? Do you remember one of the bodies we found the first night we were here? The one with Platt's hair? He nodded uneasily. She was very pretty, Jenna. Standing there, alive, looking back out at me. You clearly thought so too. Your arm was right around her waist. I guess we make our own lives in interchange. Just as we all do here. With that, she turned off her suit radio and walked away across East Scarp, threading her way between the twenty-two graves the two of them had once dug. <laughs>